Good morning once again. We're going to be spending some time in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We are continuing our quest on the possibility of appointing more official leaders of this congregation. So we're doing a couple of lessons along uh, those lines. If you'd like to make suggestions, then there is a card in the, on the back table. And so you could take the card, write down a name, and then put it in an envelope, and then put it in the basket next to it. Uh, that's just an option for you if you'd like to take advantage of that. Last week we talked about how that leaders must be shepherding the flock. And also from 1 Peter 5 last week we talked about how God's leaders lead uh, His people. Focus today on the life of the leader here in Titus uh, chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I'm reminded of the young man who just got married and he and his wife were very excited and, and um, they had a thought of having ch children here pretty soon. And so he thought he would do some research about rearing children. And he came up with this little pamphlet and he named it, um, he named it Definite Rules for Rearing Children. Definite Rules. By and by, his wife and he and his wife were able to have a couple of little ones. And, and so he, he researched once again, he renamed his pamphlet, uh, Suggestions uh, for Rearing Children. And then later on, as the children got older and got in, uh, started into their teenage years, uh, he did some more research and he renamed his pamphlet and he called it Problems uh, Rearing Children. And then later on, when his children got to be 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, he just wrote a pamphlet and he, he entitled it, Help, I'm Drowning. Help, I'm Drowning. Uh, this business of leadership looks a lot easier than it is. Okay? And we'll see from these qualities that very fact. It looks a lot easier uh, than it is. If you look right here in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, you see that 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 Paul and Titus had made a, a mission trip to this island of Crete, island Crete. Now a wonderful thing here is they're able to do this because somebody had taken the gospel to this island. This was an island out there close to the Aegean Sea and it had a lot of mountains, a lot of towns and cities. People loved to go and live there. But somebody had taken the gospel there. And I want you to notice this in your Bible, Acts chapter 2, Verse 11, right there on the day of Pentecost, part of the crowd assembled there were Cretans. Cretans, underline that. Cretans were there on the day of Pentecost. What did they do? They heard Peter preach the pure, simple, powerful gospel plan of salvation. And many of them, like others did from other nations, they repented of their sins, were baptized into Christ received forgiveness and were added to the church and they went back home to, to the island of Crete. And there's the gospel. And so Paul and Titus got word of that and they took a trip there and they encouraged and taught more and more. And so but Paul had to leave for some reason. He left Titus there, Titus 1 verse 5. He left him there. 
And he said, now, I'm leaving you here that you will set in order some things that are lacking and that you would appoint elders in every city. That is, in every city that has a church and every city that has qualified men in that church, you appoint elders there. Okay. And so let's get started. The life of the leader. The life of the leader. Looking right here in your Bible, Titus chapter 1, verse number 6. First of all, the life of the leader is a clean life. A clean life. Notice Titus 1 verse 6. He is to be blameless. Blameless. Or another phrase may be without reproach. Without reproach. Blameless or without reproach. Of course, this does not mean perfection because only Jesus then would be able to serve in this role. It's not just perfection, but it certainly is not perfection. We've all sinned. John says in 1 John 1 in verse 8 that if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. We all sin. That's not what he's talking about here. But he's talking about someone who has no major character flaw. He's talking about someone who does not have a dominant sin in their life. He's talking about someone who's not defined by a certain sin. Uh, a person may have trouble uh, spitting out some bad words. That defines them. Okay? A person may uh, have trouble finding their way back to church on Sunday night. That's a sin that defines them. Okay? A blameless man doesn't have a particular flaw, a particular sin that defines him. He's not perfect by no means, but he is blameless. He's blameless. And another thing about this blameless man when he does do wrong, he is quick to repent. When he does do wrong, he has such a sensitive conscience that he is ready then to humble himself and get back to his Lord. That is the blameless man. Now, we all have got to be this way. One emphasis that we made last week and today, these qualities are not just for a few, but God expects these qualities to be in all of us. You can look right there in your Bible in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 10 you'll see that these qualities, this quality of blamelessness is to be with deacons. Deacons. You can look in your Bible right there in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 7, and you'll notice some widows mentioned. Paul says, now there, there are some widows that dedicate themselves to prayer and to devotion night and day. Other widows live in pleasure, and they're dead while they live. But verse 7 says, here's what God expects. God expects you to be without reproach. He expects you to be blameless, blameless. 1 Timothy 6, verse 14, the same thing. Paul expects Timothy to be without spot and to be without reproach and to be blameless. See, this is expected of all of us. Okay. And so it's a clean life. The leader's life is a clean life. Why is this important? Why is this important? Well, first, it's because... It's because we represent the church. Okay? This is important because we represent the church. Others know that we go to church somewhere. Others know where we have our devotion. Okay? 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 says a, a leader, a, a, a mature Christian is to have a good testimony from those outside. Okay? Those outside of Christ. Those who are not serving the Lord. They're still watching us. And so we represent the church. That's why this is important. Okay. It's also important because we are, we are to be examples to each other. We mentioned that last week in 1 Peter 3, 
or rather 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. We are examples to the flock. We are examples to each other. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, let no man despise your youth, but be an example uh, to others of the believers. Be an example in word, in manner of life. Be an example. Be an example uh, in purity. Be an example in faith. Uh, be an example in, in love. Just be an example in all these areas. Okay. That's why this is important. Okay. We, we represent the church. We're to be good examples. I'll tell you another reason why it's important. It's important because when we go to try to help somebody with, with, with their weaknesses, okay, they shouldn't be able to look back at us and say, well, you have a glaring sin. Okay. You have a glaring sin. It would be very difficult for us to help someone come out of their fault if we have a problem with drinking. It would be hard to help someone come out of their fault if we have a constant trouble getting back to church. Okay. We, it would be help, hard to help somebody come out of their sin if, if we have trouble with, with our tongue, uh, saying questionable words all the time, because they're going to know about that. So that's why this is uh, very important. So first of all, the leader's life is a clean life. Secondly, it's a family life. Look right there in Titus 1, verse 6. The leader's life is a family life, no doubt. It's a family life. A couple things. He is the husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. This means that he's a male. Yep, he's a guy. He's a guy. That's what it means. In fact, the Greek word here is the guy is the word aner. A-N-E-R, aner, always refers to males only and never to the feminine side, okay? Uh, we have to say that, sorry about that. We just have to say that nowadays, don't we? So it's a guy, it's a guy. But also it's a married guy. It's a married guy. He's the husband. The husband of one wife has a wife, right? The husband of one wife has a wife, so he's a married man. The Apostle Paul was, has a, had a tremendous character, didn't he? Wasn't Paul a tremendous servant? I mean, he wrote a good part of the New Testament, but he was a never an elder in the church. Paul was never an elder. For one thing, he wasn't married. For another thing, he could never stay still enough. Right? He was a missionary. Okay? You can't appoint a man like that. He's not going to be in one place long enough. He's not going to be around long enough. Paul was never an elder. And so this man that Paul has in mind here in Titus 1 verse 6 is husband of one wife. He's a guy. He's a married guy. And he's, he's faithfully married. Husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. Okay. When Jesus came into this world, there was, there was rampant divorce. Divorce for just about every cause you could think of. There was immorality. There was perverseness on, on every hand. And as we read in Matthew 19, Jesus called people back to the beginning. He said, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. This here, these qualifications here in Titus 1, that's an extension of this grand call, the call to go back to the beginning, go back to creation, go back to see how God made us in uh, those beginning days. Right? And so it's a tremendous call. Now why is this important? Why is this important in leadership? Husband of one wife. Well, 
big part of being mature is you're seeking to, to reach people with the gospel. And if there is chaos surrounding you, then it's very difficult. Very difficult. It's not by accident that one of the first things God does when he brings man to this earth is to create marriage and the home. Marriage and the home creates a, a cohesiveness in society to where then there is such order that you can, you can stop and you can understand God better. You can stop and understand the gospel better. But absent the home, absent faithfulness in marriage, absent, you know, a stable home, then there's chaos everywhere and it's very difficult for the gospel to make inroads into people's hearts. Okay. That's why this is important. It's important uh, that he be the husband of one wife. It's also important because of the wife. Wives are such godly wives. Godly wives are such incredible companions. They are, they have good judgment themselves. They help you with parts of society that you're not going to be able to, to counsel on your, on your own, like little children and other women. They're so helpful uh, in that. And so you can see God's wisdom here in saying you need to be a family guy. It's a family life, a husband and one wife. Not just a husband and one wife, but he has believing children. Okay? He's got to have believing uh, children. And we have no doubt what he means here. He says you've got to have believing children, and your children don't need to be uh, those children of riot and unruliness. The word believe here is a powerful word. Okay. It means someone who has made the decision to obey and surrender his or her life uh, to the Lord. Look in your Bible back in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 10 where Paul says, For this cause we labor and we toil because we have our hope set on the living God who would have all men to be saved, especially those that believe. Okay. What does it mean to believe? Well, the Hebrews writer helps us with this in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Though Jesus was a son, yet learned he obedience from the things which he suffered, being made perfect. Now notice this. Jesus became the author, the source, the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. So, God saves those who believe and obey. This is what Paul has in mind here in 1 Timothy uh, and also in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, having believing children. His children have, have grown up to the point and he has led them to the point where now they have themselves taken upon themselves to obey Christ and they have already started serving him. Okay. These children he has in mind are children old enough to if they went the other way, if they went towards Satan, they would cause a lot of division, a lot of riot, a lot of unruliness. But if, they led, if they're being led in the right way, then they have been established as servants of the Lord, as, as teachers in the church, as, as followers of the great Redeemer. Okay. And so this goes along with 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, where Paul says that God's man... 
rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, then how can he take care of the church of God? His children are not just in subjection to him. It's not that, there, it's not that Paul's saying, well, the children just need to love daddy and be sure to do all that daddy says. No, the children have learned to submit themselves, subject themselves to the Lord. The father and mom in the situation have learned and have told their children that we're all here to serve the Lord. The Lord has put us in your lives in order to bring you to Him. But He is the real Lord. And dad and mom have done that. And that's the kind of person that Paul is describing here. So, the life of the leader is a clean life. And it's also a family uh, life. And thirdly, it's a focused life. Certainly it is. It's a focused life. Staying right here in Titus chapter 1. It's a focused life. Our focus must be on God, but sometimes a person will become self-willed. Paul says, no, no. Okay, God's man is not self-willed. See that there? He's not self-willed. Some, some may have a translation there that says arrogant. That's what a self-willed man becomes. He becomes arrogant. Okay, A self-willed man, he, he looks after, he pursues his own personal interest. Okay, he's lost his focus on God. He even begins to have feelings of uh, being superior, uh, as if he's just a little bit above uh, everybody else. Uh, Peter refers to this in 1 Peter 5 as being uh, lords over the church. This man who's self-willed, he has grown to the point where he's, he's, gotten, he's gotten arrogant. He thinks himself a little bit above everybody else, so he's kind of made himself a lord over the church. I tell you what, this man needs a good dose of Jesus, don't he? I mean, Jesus, as he's praying there in the garden, Luke 22, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. You know, Paul, in Philippians 2, Paul says, Jesus became obedient unto death. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He needs a good dose. He needs a good dose of John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist said concerning Jesus in John 3 and verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. He needs a good dose of John the Baptist. He needs a good dose of Romans 12 verse 10. Romans 12 verse 10 says, In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another. Romans 12 verse 10. Be tenderly affectioned one to another and in honor preferring one another. Okay, That's what guides us there. That's, that's what shapes us to be who we are. Okay? We, we are humbling ourselves. We are, we are putting ourselves in, in, in the background. We're, we, are, we are doing things that will help other people and that will bring glory uh, to Jesus. Why is this important? This is important because of respect and manners. Respect and manners. A self-willed man forgets that there are other people in the congregation also faithful, also involved. Okay. And a self-willed man will come along and make decisions that involves another faithful person's work, make decisions about that work without ever consulting that person. Okay. He'll just make arbitrary decisions. That's a self-willed person. God says, that's not the kind of person I need. Okay. My person will understand that we're all in this together 
and there are others who are faithful and doing things, and so I am to work with them. I am to cooperate with them. If I'm going to make a decision about something that they're also involved in, I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to get their input. I'm going to discuss this with them. I'm going to get advice from them. I'm going to give advice to them. They're going to give advice to me. See, a self-willed person has forgotten all of that. We were talking a couple of years ago. We have some good friends that um, are missionaries way up in, in Virginia. And but they were telling us years ago that, that they had been working and, and uh, others with them and trying to build up their Bible school. And, and one of their elders, just out of the blue, just all of a sudden, a lot of the Bible school materials just were missing. We're just missing. And they come to find out that he decided that it was just time to clean out some things. And he threw away some, some of the very things that they had been using for several weeks. And they said, we just, we just looked at him just like blank faces at each other and they didn't know what to, to say. That man was self-willed. He did what was wrong. That was wrong of doing that. Okay? He wasn't thinking. He wasn't God's man here. He had become a self-willed. It's a focused life. You focus on God, not on yourself. You focus on God and not money. So this man has said not to be greedy, a filthy lucre not greedy. I look at this as a spirit involved, a, a, a thought pro process involved. A lot of people say, yeah, he doesn't need to be greedy because he might be handling some of the church's money. Well, okay. You think that way, and that, that's slightly true, but that's not really the ideal here. The ideal here is, you know, where's your heart? Where's your heart? What? Where, What's your focus in life? You know? uh, Paul will say in, in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, and 9 and 10, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know, where, where's your heart? Didn't Jesus say something like, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? Sometimes I get that backwards. And I say, does it say where your heart is, there will your treasure be? Or does it say where your treasure is, there will your heart be? You go figure it out. Go read it. Matthew 6, verse 21. Okay. We do know in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. He's talking about God and money there. Okay. This is the kind of man God has in mind. A focused, a focused life. And then in the next place, a life under the control of God. A life under control. A life under control. Several little characteristics here that we'll, we'll mention here in Titus chapter 1 and uh, verses 7 and 8. A man who's under control of God is not soon angry. He's not soon He's not quick-tempered. He's not quick on the trigger. He doesn't have a lot of sudden angry outbursts. Okay? He, that's because he's under the control of God. Under the control of God. Is it possible that even a Christian man could so lose his anger that he would become violent? That he would begin to clench his fist? Well, that's possible. That's why he says here, he is not to be a striker. All right. He is not to be, he, he keeps himself away, at least in his mind, he keeps away from heated situations. Other people may become heated, but he's not going to get there. Okay. 
And he's able to do that because he's, he's living a life that's under control of God, under the, the realm of God. Okay? And he's not a brawler. Now, some of your translations may have drunkard there. The word here really is brawler, someone who would act like a drunk. Okay? A man can, can so lose himself that he begins to sound like a drunkard. A drunkard just has, he doesn't have something serious to say. He's just babbling about. Okay? He's just trying to get along with other people. But the seriousness of life never strikes this brawler. Okay? He doesn't really consider the fact that there is a hell waiting for those who do not know Christ. Okay? He doesn't consider that. And so uh, he's not living under control of God. But a man that God has in mind is under control. He's not soon angry. He's not quick on the draw. Okay? He's never tempted to become so heated that he would lash out at somebody. Okay? He doesn't try to manipulate. He doesn't try to be a bully. Okay? And he's certainly not a, not a brawler. You see, James says in James 1, 19 to 21, James 1. Now there in James 1, he's talking about receiving the Word of God. How are you going to receive the Word of God? He says, um, be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to wrath, slow to anger. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Two things about an angry man. First, he's going to be ignorant. He's going to be so angry that he can't learn the scriptures. And secondly, he's going to be ineffective because nobody wants to deal with an angry man. This man is living, Paul has a mind in Titus 1. He has a life that's under the control of God. He is sober-minded and he has self-control in his life. That's so important because all of us are tempted to be to be driven by our passions, our own desires, and especially our emotions. Our emotions. This may be the, this may be, this may be one of the biggest a leader faces is emotions. Where do, where do emotions come from? It comes first from your family. It comes from your family. And if a leader is not careful, he begins to listen to his family and then assume what his family is saying to him is absolutely the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Okay? There are no other thoughts other than my family. They're closest to me. I love them. They're in my life every day. So therefore, he begins to be managed and controlled by his family. Okay? But a man under the control of God, he is, he's controlled more by his knowledge of Scripture and of the Lord Jesus than he is even the emotions that come from his family. Another emotion that's very seemingly growing today is the emotion of fear. Of fear. And panic. Panic. Okay. That doesn't describe God's man. You remember what 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now a lot of people have a spirit of fear and they claim to serve God, but it doesn't come from God. God gives us power, love, and a sound mind. You see this, sober-minded? Sober basically the same word as 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Sound mind, sober mind. If you have a sound mind, you don't fear. 
If you fear, you don't have a sound mind. Okay. Fear comes from a lack of trust in the almighty power of God. Sometimes I just want to say to people, do you not understand who we're serving? If we are right with the creator of the universe, he is going to bless us. Do you believe that He created this universe? Do you believe He brought Jesus back from the dead? Do you, do you believe that He brought Jesus into this earth in the first place? Do you believe that He sustains, sustains the world right now? Do you believe? Then where, why do you have this panic? A leader just cannot have it. It just doesn't need to be there. He needs to be sober-minded, self-controlled. That means he has a full trust and faith in God. If we do right, the Lord will bless us. And I'll tell you what, when you have that spirit, other people want part of that spirit. But if you walk around with a bunch of panic and fear, nobody wants a part of that. So it's a life under self-control. And finally this morning, as far as we'll go, it's a life of love. Titus 1 verse 8. This man that God has in mind, he's living a life of love. Of love. He's a holy man. A holy man loves sacred things. He loves what God loves. One that comes to my mind, you know, we, we read this scripture over in 2 Corinthians 9 often before we give of our means. God loves a cheerful giver, right? Okay. A holy man seeks to be just like God in his imperfect perfection way, but he tries to be like God. He, he wants to be like God in all ways. And he loves what God loves. Holy man. And then this man in Titus 1 verse 8 is a lover of all good things. Lover of good thoughts. Over in Titus 2.14, we'll read about being zealous of good works. So he's, he's a lover of good works. He's a lover of good thoughts. He's a lover of good people. Anything that is good in the sight of the Lord has a friend in this man. And a supporter. He's a lover of good. But then also, he is a lover of strangers. He's a lover of strangers. This is what this means here in when it says given to hospitality, sometimes we think being hospitable means that you're hanging out with the brethren. That's not what this means. Okay. Think about the Bible. Think about the first century. Okay. What did they mean? In those days, travel was much more difficult. People needed places to stay. Brethren needed places to stay. There was a lot of distress when you travel. A good place to have to call home on a temporary basis was a tremendous blessing. This man, God has in mind, is a lover of strangers. Lovers of strangers. Even Jesus mentions this in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, when he talked about those on his right hand would be those who love strangers. When, when there's a stranger... They, they come unto that stranger and they welcome uh, that stranger. He's a lover of strangers. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, be not forgetful to be uh, entertaining strangers. 
for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let brotherly love continue. Strangers, strangers. And that's what a godly man does. He looks about and he looks for people who need help. And he wants to provide some things for them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Strangers. This is a good place for us to draw our lesson to a, to a close because we're all strangers. Or at least we once were. According to Paul in Ephesians 2, we were once strangers and aliens. And that's before we come to submit to Jesus. You see, Jesus, because of his work on the cross and his shed blood, he gives us the opportunity to no longer be strangers and foreigners, but rather to be fellow citizens with the saints and to be in the very household of God. Other people may ignore us. Other people may even mistreat us. But when we come and follow the gospel way, God never counts us as a stranger again. In just a few minutes, we'll gather around the communion table and we'll get to reflect on that even more. But what love, what powerful love God brought to us. And it's all because He doesn't want us to be strangers anymore. He wants us to be at home with Him, to walk with Him now, and to be there at His throne in heaven up above forever and ever. We're about to sing this song. Is it called Let Him Have His Way With Thee? That's a good one. Let Him Have His Way With Thee. That's what God wants. That's what a mature person does. That's a great benchmark for all of us. Let the Lord have His way with thee. Will you come this morning, right now, as we stand together, as we sing?